healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right, hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Matt McCambridge from Eden Health. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So here's the game plan, Matt. What we seek to do on this show is uh, challenge status quo purchasing methods and educate our audience on non-traditional approaches to either lowering their healthcare costs or improving value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Absolutely. To get us started, I got a bio here. I'm going to read, read this to give our audience a little bit of context about uh, who they're listening to here, and then we'll jump into it. So Matt McCambridge is co-founder and chief executive officer of Eden Health, a primary care and insurance navigation company designed to elevate the health and well-being of employees everywhere. Prior to Eden Health, he was a technology and software investor at Insight Venture Partners, a global venture capital and private equity firm with over $20 billion of assets under management. He also worked as an analyst for the healthcare-focused private equity firm, Shore Capital Partners. Matt earned his bachelor's degree from Harvard University and taught leadership under Ron Heifetz at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and he is based in New York City. Matt, anything else you want to add? No, you did a better job than I could have. (laughs) Well, it's easy when I'm reading off a piece of paper. You know, most people don't (laughs) like talking about themselves. All right. So, so Matt, you, people you, keep the focus on the patients, right? That's right. That's right. You've got a primary background in venture capital and private equity investing. So what prompted you to launch into entrepreneurship in the healthcare space? Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I, like most people I feel who start companies in this space, they really connect to it on a personal level. And so when I was a kid around 10 and my sister was 14, she started to have really serious healthcare problems. And that took her to over 70 different specialists over four years. That's seven zero. So quite a few. It took her, unfortunately, to the ER about a dozen times with life-threatening issues. Frankly, it's a story that's all too common, uh, although hers was in the extreme, is that there was no coordination of care. The same test got run again and again. Nobody was paying attention to her as a whole patient, mental health, or anything associated with that. And it took a very lucky encounter with a primary care provider who was a bit early in their career. They brought together a few different specialists. They were able to make the right prescription. They weren't getting paid extra money for the time they spent on this case. And she was able to grow out of it and, you know, leave, live a totally full life, which would never have been possible without this experience. So we kind of saw the huge problems you have associated with the healthcare system up front, up front and personal, but then really the promise of what can it look like with coordinated care? You know, how is that different? So, you know, I was at Insight doing venture capital investing and kept looking at solutions sold into the healthcare space that really addressed sort of top level, you know, work uh, sort of software changes. And we were excited about how do you really organize the system from incentive, uh, you know, so payment models through the software, through the workflows. And that was what created our kind of our bottoms up approach of primary care that's integrated now with behavioral health and physical therapy and really stitched together with navigation delivered across the country or a virtual app delivered physically in our network of medical offices and flexibly at the work side of the employer, all around this idea of integrating care, but then also engaging the patient population and getting them higher quality health care and better outcomes. 
Great. Well, you, you said a lot there, and and I want to get back to a lot of those different points and aspects um, to what you're doing. But let's let's start a little bit at the the macro level here. I don't think it's a stretch to say we have a primary care crisis in this country. Uh, there's rampant physician burnout in primary care, which makes sense given the sheer hours they have to put in relative to other specialty care practices. Not really a surprise. You know, we we have an estimate. We're estimated to have a national shortage of more than forty four thousand primary care physicians by 2035. And, and, you know, you put yourself in a graduating medical resident's shoes, they're, they're going to have a ton of debt. You know, why would they opt for a terrible lifestyle and, and low reimbursement relative to other, you know, specialty practices? So do you want to expand on this for our audience a little bit and, and talk about the primary care issues for providers and patients under, you know, the current reimbursement models that are out there? Yeah. I mean, there's no question that there's a huge number of problems and, the fact of the matter is, is that primary care needs to be the cornerstone of any proactive, comprehensive healthcare strategy, whether that's at an individual level, a you know employer level where we focus, or you know even a national level. So this is something we a hundred percent need to fix. You know, and I think the bright side is you've got a you have a ton of highly motivated clinicians. Um, so those are MDs, physician assistants, and nurse practitioner, or and um, yeah, nurse practitioners, and a variety of other folks who you know are eager to solve it. And so when we think about delivering primary care at scale, it's about leveraging technology, combining virtual and in-person care, and also thinking about the fact that. Maybe someone doesn't need to proceed at MD for every single encounter. Um, the physician assistants and the nurse practitioners are just phenomenal to work with. You know, in some cases, they have better outcomes when you talk about long-term management. And so creating really cross-functional teams that can deliver care in a scalable way virtually and in the physical environment is important. And the way that we've been solving it now is <clears throat> shoving more and more and more into less time, which is really not the solution. You do have to reinvent as I was talking about before, that incentive model that supports, frankly, a bit higher reimbursement we get today, but we have the opportunity with the virtual care and with these new care team models to also leverage our current supply in a much stronger, uh, much more flexible way. One of the things that you you touched on was we're, we're trying to cram more volume into, into less time. I think that leads to a lot of the downstream issues that we have. Do you think the current you know, fee-for-service and capitation models that exist out there, do you think it's possible to have good primary care, you know, under those models? Yeah, well, you know, I'll give you a brief story. You know, as we were hiring uh, our early clinical teams at Eden, I remember interviewing this one primary care provider who got into urgent care. And I won't say where he was working, but he told me that on a daily basis, he was seeing 75 patients in the urgent care setting, um, which is absolutely crazy to do. And so, I mean, the amount of brain power that went to each patient made no sense. And so what you're, I believe, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying, which is that unless you have good, effective primary care at the front end, you're just going to refer a huge number of people into much more expensive parts of the system that are not only going to be more costly from a financial standpoint, but also more costly and less quality from a, you know, from a care standpoint as well. So, you know, there's been this trend of ramping up the number of of patients get referred. You know, today we see that the average PCP out there is referring between three and four of every 10 of their patients to a specialist. If you rewind to 1999, it was more like one in every 
uh, 20 of patients to a specialist. And so we're getting wow. actively worse at doing this. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, you know, the way I think about it is our position is that it's very hard to do in the regular fee-for-service model. And then if you're an employer or whoever thinking about providing primary care, you, you can't just rely on the current system. You have to think about augmentation somehow. Um, and you have to think about how does that integrate with the system directly, because you don't want to necessarily pull somebody totally out of, you know, the rest of that network. But you have to figure out how are we getting, frankly, more uh, incentivization to the primary care providers to spend more time with their their patients. And unfortunately, I do think that you require it's required to work with some kind of a vendor. And the reason I say that is, you know, imagine you as a lone like employer group trying to incentivize a primary care provider uh, who might be seeing 10 of your people, you know, to see them for a long period of time, they've got 2000 other people to see on a yearly basis. And so you have to think about from a ground up level, really, how does that whole practice work? Because they're not going to make a wholesale change for that 10 when they've got 2000 people who are paying, you know, in a different manner. Part of the challenge is getting employers to understand that they're not getting good primary care. and, And that has a whole load of unintended consequences that, that impact their, their costs and, um, you know, and really impacting, you know, their, the, the well-being of their population. So let's get into to your solution here. You, you've talked, you've alluded to a number of things uh, so far, and, you know, we've, we've interviewed other, uh, you know, primary care, virtual primary care companies on uh, this show, but I, I don't think I would put you in that category because you, you guys are unique from the standpoint because you're really trying to do a lot of different things and there's different components to your service. So can you explain to our audience how Eden Health is different from other brick and mortar primary care practices as well as other, you know, virtual primary care solutions? Yeah. So the overall frame of what we're trying to do at Eden is eliminate the daily hassles that the employees and the employers have when administering healthcare. The reality of the situation is, is that as a patient, it's very confusing to find out where they're supposed to go. If you've got a series of point solutions, that's fine. But I, as an employee, you know, first of all, I probably don't remember them. But second of all, um, I'm not exactly sure what I need to go for my knee issue. Um, and I think that the initial outset of the fact that healthcare is confusing to folks is a huge impediment and the, that kind of compounded with fragmentation to actually accessing good healthcare. So from our standpoint, you cannot separate navigation from primary care, from delivery. And so when we take an approach here, it's highly integrated. Um, so that's going to color a little bit about how I'm talking about this. Okay. So you as a patient, if you were to download Eden Health app on your phone right now, within seven minutes, you'd be able to connect to a dedicated care team that's built around you. And after you connect with them, you can have ongoing messaging that like you're messaging with a close friend who's a doctor, but it's your dedicated team. So 24-7, 365, you get those same providers. What I think is so important is building that provider-patient relationship even virtually and really leveraging technology and team-based care to do that. So you look at someone like my sister who had complicated, very complicated 
continued care, she needs consistency. And so I think virtual care gives you that and allows you to roll that out across your entire employee footprint. So you can give everybody the same, you know, virtual care experience that in, allows them to get really high quality, you know, patient provider relationships virtually um, and do all this navigation. So helping support referrals, all that kind of stuff. This is that top layer that we see with our customers. They roll out across their whole platform. Uh, rather, the, all their employee base. Yep. The second piece is physical infrastructure. So if you've got density in a given geography, you're going to want a physical location that is integrated with this virtual care solution. So we build clinics often in partnership with the employer or partnership with you know, property groups, and we roll these out across the country. And so we're um, in the kind of greater New York City area now, we're opening in several geographies, and that's going to give you integration from the virtual care into the physical. So for folks who have real complex issues, who need a physical touch, that's going to be incorporated. <clears throat> and um, all these locations allow you to get primary care, behavioral health, and we're now just launching physical therapy. And then the third component is, let's say you've got a distributed workforce. How are you going to think about that? Maybe you've got small offices. We're able to send a provider from our pool of clinicians directly on site to your location to activate people in that population uh, directly at the work site. And so you have this kind of comprehensive service um, that if people are looking to change the way people are accessing primary care, this is how we think you should do it. And it's going to be built around you directly as an employer. And the outcomes kind of speak for themselves. So I think the main thing everybody needs to look at is engagement. Um, if you're not affecting most of the population, you know, you're really not doing much uh, from a population standpoint to influence yep. care. Yep. So uh, we see out of every 100 employees, 77 will register for the Eden Health app on their phone. Um, and then we're able to push specific health-related information to them, uh, which is critical uh, when you think about things like preventative screenings um, to catch things early. But the number to really anchor on is 66, which is out of every 100 people, 66 will have an actual live encounter, either virtually or in person, with one of our clinicians during the year. And, that, and then you move people into more uh, dedicated patient-provider relationships. So you're getting this engagement, and that's all backed up by quality. So we have our patient-centered medical home accreditation through the NCQA, we're the, it's the highest quality certification for primary care in the country. We're the first virtual group to have this. And that is built on high-quality preventative care, high-quality mental health care, and then really helping people access downstream services. So I know there's a lot, but you know, I don't think you can think about it anymore in this piecemeal approach. You have to think about it integrating and really providing an experience that works for your population specifically. First, why did you choose to integrate behavioral health as a, as a component to the service? So behavioral health is an extremely underdiagnosed kind of segment, um, but it is so intertwined to all of the physical care. And when you look into folks who in your population that might have chronic conditions, a lot of them might have behavioral health issues in addition to that. Yes. So just think about folks who have diabetes, right? Diabetes and depression. Uh, you're going to want to address the depression before you can really access and make meaningful change on the underlying uh, issues associated with the, with the diabetes uh, diagnosis. And so that, bringing that in-house and the sequencing of care is uh, critically important. The second thing is, you know, there's a problem with access. And so the problem with access 
in pretty much every market. And we couldn't find a way to reliably get all of our patients access to behavioral health care without bringing that in-house. So that tight combination of physical with, with behavioral, but then also the fact that there's just a real lack of supply there meant that we had to bring it in-house uh, directly. From a virtual standpoint, are people that are maybe not in, you know, one of the larger metropolitan areas and are, are accessing it virtual. Do they also have access uh, virtually to the behavioral health care provider? They do. We're not quite in, uh, nationwide with that yet, but um, we're rapidly rolling that out as well across the country. So they have access to that virtual care. And for us, what, what it means is, is it means with a licensed clinical social worker who is supporting and working with a psychiatrist doing talk therapy. So what's going to be different for us in our perspective is it's really clinical in nature. And so you have a plan for that person that's based around evidence-based models that gets them to uh, high quality outcomes, bringing down the rates of depression and anxiety in measurable ways. So that's what, what the way we're oriented in that format. Um, it's not necessarily messaging back and forth with a coach. It's real behavioral health clinicians who are working with people in a, in a clinical format. You mentioned that you are the only virtual care team that is, is certified as a primary care medical home. I understand the significance of that, but I would guess that not all of the people listening to this do understand the significance of that. So do you want to expand on that? I mean, I think that's, that's a pretty big deal. So there's, uh, there's, there's too many acronyms in healthcare, which is for sure. So I didn't give you the PCMH, NCQA piece of that. But, you know, I'll, I'll basically, you know, for those who kind of know the software world, you know, you've got these things called SOC 2 audits, which is basically that means you're at the top of the game from a security standpoint. You know, this is kind of the top of the line quality certification in the country for healthcare and really primary care in specific. What is so important is, you know, you get put in the league of the Mayo Clinic and Geisinger and groups like that when you do the patient-centered medical home model. I think you see most virtual groups really creating a different version of urgent care. You've got seven minutes on the phone. You don't have a continuous patient relationship. You know, you're just kind of repeating you know, in a more convenient way, some of the problems that we have in the existing system. So from our perspective, you know, the question was, how do you move the, uh, a lot of the experience you could have in a multidisciplinary, high-quality, patient-centered medical home clinic into this virtual area? And that's what we've been going at since day one. So, you know, the, the body that accreditates for this, they did a year-long audit. They reviewed everything, all of our numbers, you know, all of our processes, everything. And that's where they're able to find that we're delivering this kind of service in such a high quality way. And I think that's really unique from a virtual care standpoint. Absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations on the accreditation. You know, I think it's, uh, it speaks to the, you know, the quality of, of what your team's doing. One of your team members in, in conversations had mentioned to me that your care teams make 66% less referrals to specialists. And you, you, had, you had discussed earlier how how uh, the industry as a whole has gotten much worse, right? You know, four out of every yeah. 10 being referred to specialists. That's a big number. Can you explain what you guys are doing differently that's driving that decrease in specialty referrals? Yeah, so we're really proud of that number for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, for chronic issues, you really want to have a home for that. And so primary care is more appropriate because, you know, you don't necessarily want to be going back to the endocrinologist every single time you have an issue. You really want to be man managing care at the appropriate level. It, always, it's it can be expensive and it can be actually lower quality care if you're always rushing off to the specialist. So we're really proud of that, that number. We basically do it in two ways. Um, one, which I think is fascinating is, 
we are, since we do use messaging as a component of the virtual care, um, actually the majority of the virtual care, we're able to be in consistent contact with somebody and see how they're changing over time. So rather than you getting seven minutes in person or seven minutes virtually with a clinician, we can track you over hours, days, you know, even weeks, and that can prevent you from needing to unnecessarily go drop $1,000 at a specialist. I think that's unique because some people think, oh, maybe virtual care is not as high quality as in-person care. In many cases, it can be much higher quality because you don't have to rush decisions. You know, people's conditions change over time and they update. The second piece is around specialists, how we actually interact with specialists. And so we have a group of specialists um, through a great partner of ours, Rubicon MD, and uh, other specialists we work with who will consult on a case prior to us making a referral. So we have a case saying, hey, maybe we need to go send this out somewhere, or maybe we just want some more advice on this. We'll have a specialist actually consult in that case directly with our primary care provider, and they're able to give both the patient more confidence saying, hey, we actually checked this out with an orthopedist. You know, you really don't need to do anything else, but we can be more accurate than when we actually do need to make a referral. So the combination of more time with you, the ability to message, and also this kind of very powerful of uh, bringing specialists directly into the primary care setting gives us the ability to reduce the rate at which people have to go access it themselves. Got it. That, that makes that makes sense. So in in the event you know that you do need to refer a patient, right? And let's let's think of the situation of an employer that um, you know has um, a national footprint, right? Maybe they have a lot of employees in in New York, but they also have let's just say they have salespeople, right, distributed across the country. So in that situation, you've got somebody in. I'm just going to pick a state, Oklahoma. They're interacting with your care team and you do the consult with Rubicon MD. And then there is a determination of, you know what, we do need to have this person go out and see a specialist. What is the process there and how do you determine who you're referring the patient to? I don't want to bore everybody with a lot of clinical protocols. So I'll try to keep that out of the answer and more focused on the overall process architecture. But basically, you know, so the first thing we think about is evaluation. So we're going to do everything up front that we can do to figure out where does this person need to go. And that's typically, you know, an encounter you would have, uh, whether that's virtual or in person with one of our, with one of our clinicians, we're going to bring in that specialist on the back end as necessary. And then the key thing that's a little bit different about us than, you know, just sending you right to a specialist after that is we'll actually get you, say, the MRI or the other tests that you might need after that first visit with the specialist. So we're going to short circuit you a step from having to go to a specialist and say, well, I can't do anything until you get this image or lab test done. So go do that and I'll see you in you know, four more weeks. Got so it. we're going to do that first. Um, and then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to get you to somebody who's in network with your carrier who is high quality. So, you know, there's a lot of great groups out there that do look at co- care, uh, overall cost of care and overall quality. But the thing that we do is a little bit different is our primary care providers are going to actually communicate with the specialist to tr- do a warm handoff to that special about what's going on. And so we're going to take it a step further by connecting you with, by connecting with that specialist. And what that ensures is a few things. One is they know what's going to happen as you're walking in. Candidly, it's a little unfair because, you know, if the clinician talks to a specialist, they're going to give you better care at the end of the day because they're going to be more focused on it. Ab- uh, <laughs> well, absolutely. Because, you know, you walk into that specialist visit and the specialist already knows the situation. He's already been briefed on yeah on that as opposed to 
I'm trying to think of, you know, some, some, uh, some personal cases with our family and there really hasn't been without that warm transfer, you're, you're just kind of starting from scratch, you know, with that, yep. that specialist. Yeah, I'm sure you experienced this, but you start to have, you know, as you spend time in this industry, you sort of have people approach you as an expert to healthcare, right? And, you know, we have just countless stories of clinicians, you know, they are the clinician to their close circle friends, and they can do things that other people can't, because they can talk, you know, back and forth with a specialist and really break down barriers and rapidly get them access to things they otherwise couldn't. And so candidly, you know, I wish everybody could, could leverage this, but we're going to leverage this on behalf of our patients for sure, and make sure that um, the specialists we're referring to, you know, really, really know what's going on. And then we also tell the specialists that, in order for us to refer to them again, they need to send us back information afterwards. And so we call it a closed loop referral. And then we can send it to our quality team so they can review the specialist. But more importantly, we keep a record then of what happened for that, uh, for that individual. Um, and we're able to follow up with them. <clears throat> the other thing is do, we do is we ask the patient after the visit, we say, how did that go? And so that they can rate that specialist so we can keep this model of improving um, our, our referral network. So we take that part really, really seriously as part of what we do um, because that's really where the cost is. And that's where unless you're paying attention and really helping the patient through, they can get lost in the system. Got it. Makes sense. You mentioned the ability to do on-site clinics. And so I think that's a unique feature of, of, you know, what you guys bring to the table. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, what's, what's the number of employees in a given location where it might make sense for an employer to consider that option? Yeah. So the first thing we're going to be able to do is do what we call pop-ups. So this is where you're not going to build out a whole location for yourself. We're going to tend to provide or go on site. They're going to take over a conference room or something like that, a break room, whatever. And they're going to be able to do visits directly there. So it's kind of cool. They show up with all the equipment. Um, you can do like 30, 45 minute appointments. It'd be like annual physical collect specimen, what have you. And what that's about is, you know, it's good for the carrots on site, but it's about everybody in that building now knows who Eden Health is. Everybody who's there can now follow up virtually. And it creates this viral experience inside these offices that I just think is really dynamic where, you know, previously on-site clinics were the purview of, you know, 20,000 employees and up, but this is getting access to people who are everybody kind of wants to offer the best for their employees, right? So it's giving access to that. If you did want a permanent on-site clinic, you know, it's going to depend a little bit on what your population is and what it looks like. Um, you know, we've implemented as low as 600 people in a given location, you know, but you have to be willing to sort of make that a big priority. Otherwise, we really just recommend you using our near our other clinic locations that are shared across employers. So you're not taking on that full cost yourself. Yep. Absolutely. No, we've, we've done a lot of work with on-site clinics and there is a, a threshold at which it makes sense and it doesn't make sense. Um, um, and the reason we're able to drive that number so low, cause it is really the virtual care component, right? Absolutely. So you don't need somebody there every day. And right. so that's how you can drive it so low. Otherwise you're, I mean, uh, we typically see in the market a couple 2,000, 3,000 in a, in a similar location for yep. one. Let's talk about chronic conditions for a moment. Um, I, I really think one of the deficiencies of our current state of primary care is that, you know, providers just don't have time to spend with people who have chronic disease burdens. And as a result, they're really unmanaged. I was looking at a utilization report that we produced for a client. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking at is, is gaps in care. And specifically for the diabetic population, it's incredible how many of these people that, you know, we know they have diabetes, you know, through the claims, right? right? There's no annual visit, right? They're not, they're not testing. And so 
to me, is that active, you know, ignorance, or is it the fact that they don't have anybody coaching them and, and helping them spending time with them on what they should be doing, um, to, <laughs> to maintain their, their state and not get worse. Right. So, so how does the Eden health model attempt to deal with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I keep harping on this as I do here and other places, this idea of the trusted patient provider relationship. I think that's just so important because what that's going to allow you to do is pay attention over time, take care of somebody before things get too bad to then make it feel like the hill is too big to climb. But focusing on that kind of component it relates to chronic conditions is just a huge element. The other component is discovery, right? I mean, nobody's happy if they have a chronic issue, you know, sort of get a call and be reminded at 11 in the morning that they have diabetes, right? That's not a call that anybody wants to receive. So you have to be really careful, I think, in terms of actually finding out and um, looking at, uh, you know, and, and getting folks into utilizing this kind of care, which is why we emphasize sort of screenings. And so we're able to screen folks, whether that's for depression, anxiety, or a variety of other things. And I think that we have to get out of this idea of biometric screenings really being the end-all be-all, because just giving somebody information, you know, <laughs> just giving somebody information is not going to change their behavior. No. No. Um, You've got to give somebody information, but you have to have this patient-provider relationship that's then going to allow them to go ahead and manage and change them over and change over time. That's kind of my overall uh, frame for it. I, I, I'm thought of as a... Uh, thinking of a specific patient um, who I'll give you a little patient story. So, you know, we touched a little bit about the product today. And so I'm thinking about this one individual who's about almost 60 years old, has been at the company for about 20 years, and we do one of these pop-ups. So we send a provider on site and the patient comes in and she it basically explains that she's had a headache for the last couple months. And um, so we start to figure that out. And so basically we figure out it's chronic sinus infection. We treat that, but we focus on extended time. And so then we figure, start to find out that she's been taking Ambien for almost 20 years every night, uh, which oh is not a long-term medication. She has other chronic underlying physical issues. And then we do our PHQ nine tests, which tests for basically depression. And she scores very high score about 19 out of 27. And so she's rating a severe depression. And so now we have this list of things to go ahead and tackle. And so we're able to knock out the headache with this chronic science infection, science infection. The second thing is we have identified other physical issues. And so we're able to have medication that we take a look at virtually over time. So she's going to come in in six months. We're, we're actually seeing over the next two weeks, what's the right medication for her. And then she's seeing a talk therapist as well. And so you have this situation, whereas, you know, if you're doing a finger prick test, you might catch the underlying physical chronic conditions. You're not going to catch any of these other things. And then having the ability to focus on that patient and get them into the right kinds of care, you know, that's what it's all about. And so at, after six months, we, we saw she was scoring one on the PHQ-9, so zero being the lowest, controlled from a physical standpoint, and was finally able to live her life and be, you know, as contributive to the work environment as possible. And so, you know, that's what we think about, uh, which wouldn't have been possible unless you'd made that initial patient-provider connection. Let's contrast that with what would have happened, you know, had she gone in, you know, for, for an office visit, right? You know, the, the 10 yeah. to 20 minute interaction with the provider and, you know, then goes on her way, you know, maybe is referred something, maybe is given a prescription, but there's really no one checking in. And so in your scenario, 
you're having, I would imagine in that, you know, time frame that, that you just mentioned, I mean, you're probably having hundreds of interactions. Yeah. I mean, you know, the sad part is this patient had a primary care provider and she couldn't get in to see them. Right. And so it's not at the end of the day, you know, when you think about it, if you can't, if it's easier to go to the ER than it is to see your primary care, you don't really have a primary care. Right. It's supposed to be the first place you're going. Um, and so that you got we just got to change the way people can access it. And we got to change the, the amount of time primary care can spend uh, on a given case. One of the things you mentioned at the beginning, which we haven't talked about, is the healthcare navigation component. So from a, from a patient experience, you know, where does that come into play? How are they instructed to interact with the navigator or how does the, the healthcare navigation component, you know, or advocacy come into play? Yeah. So from our perspective, the navigation needs to be integrated at the primary care level. So we're not saying, hey, now you're interacting with a navigator. We're saying, okay, now that we're saying making a recommendation, whether that's a medication or a referral or something else, we're going to tell you at that time what things are going to cost. And we're going to actually support you in the next step, which is so different from um, getting a regular referral from a primary care provider who frankly doesn't have the resources to know what anything is going to cost. And now all of a sudden you're out and you might be getting a $2,000, you know, uh, MRI somewhere, and that's going to be, you know, a real, real big problem for them. So I think that integration from a navigation standpoint is, is important. The second thing we see is that when you open up the ability for people to communicate seamlessly from a virtual care standpoint, they're going to naturally ask a lot of questions. So whether it's about their benefits, actually interesting dynamic we see is that people will straight go to ask for a specialist. And so you'll find people who will go, oh, I need to go see this specialist. And we'll find out, first of all, they did, they should be taking care of primary care, but they even if they were going to see a specialist, they would have gone to the wrong one. And so you see this dynamic of people just have, as we talked about at the beginning, are confused by the system. They sh- you need a PhD in navigation plus an MD to really navigate it. So I think that that model of integrating it and not separating it out um, is really important. And we, sa- we found that to be pretty effective. If you're going to have that navigator component built in, then yeah. in order for you to be effective, you do need to know what the benefit design is. And let's say that they do yeah. have a particular you know, point solution. I'll, I'll give you an example. We're looking at a musculoskeletal carve-out network you know, that has um, you know, a different approach to quality and trying to, to avoid unnecessary care, right? So let's just say yeah. we had something like that in place. Would you guys have access to that and know that such that if there was a need to refer for any, you know, musculoskeletal disorders, you would know that that's where you would send that, you know, that person. Right, exactly. So that's one of the reasons why we work with employers is because you as an individual have access to kind of a constellation of benefits that you might not realize, right? And so let's say you have this carve out musculoskeletal network, right? We would be able to not just tell you about it, but almost prescribe you using it, right? And so I think that connection is what's so interesting, whether that's a virtual diabetes management solution, whatever whatever it is, the power of the pen of the clinician is strong. And so tying, you know, gets back to what I was saying before, tying this navigation concept into the primary care, I think it enhances a lot of these solutions like uh, the musculoskeletal carve out, um, because that's such a great thing to have. And you just got to think about how do we really maximize engagement and utilization of it? I would imagine in a virtual care model that you guys are trying to collect patient feedback. And, um, and so yeah. can, can you tell us, you know, what the patient experience has been like as far as like, you know, feedback, 
that you've gotten and you know if there's any you know metrics that you're using to kind of uh, to track it you know what we see with employers is at the end of the day they care very very deeply about how their employees are experiencing their solutions right you know you buy healthcare for a lot of reasons you know regulatory reasons you know reasons to make your employees healthier but also you want them to have good experience and good access to it. So this we take really seriously. So we have a, we basically have like an Uber star rating after every encounter. So uh, for every single encounter you have with us, virtual or in person, we're going to ask you about it and we're ask you to rate it and you can provide qualitative feedback too. So we average 4.95 out of five stars um, and we have a 75% response rate. So this is a very good pulse and 4.95 out of five is just about as you know, high as you can have it. And so the experience from the individual is so strong. And I think that what technology and what um, I think these new care models are allowing us to do is do the right thing for patients, but do it in a way that they're actually going to enjoy using it. Because the reason that people make us their PCP is because they have a good experience and they're going to come back. Um, you know, the reason that we have power in the, in, the, in the life of that patient and their care is because they trust it. So I think the patient experience is so important. We see that from employers, you know, they're going to, they want to implement something that their employees are going to like, use highly. And that's the thing that's going to um, really move the needle, um, even beyond any kind of quality or cost. Uh, related decisions. So let's let's talk about the fee structure here. I mean, how are how are you guys uh, structured? Is it a PEPM? Are you you billing per encounter? Um, how does it work? Yeah. So we partner with employers in basically one of two ways. They can choose to fully cover Eden Health and do what we describe as kind of primary care capitation. Mm-hmm. And so yep. that means that you know every dollar that we're charging comes out of that fee and you get unlimited access for all of your employees. So there's that model. And for self-funded groups, it's really the way we see pretty much all of our customers going. For fully insured, um, we are gonna charge a fee um, as well. Um, And then, but we'll decrease that significantly because we'll also be able to charge insurance. So we're in network, we're in our carrier with all the major carriers. And so we'll be able to charge insurance for visits in our clinics. And that's gonna be able to bring that fee significantly down. So if you think about the kind of services we're bringing together, we're really combining a very kind of a, you know, advanced primary care model on the virtual care side, physical care and navigation. And when you start to put those pieces together from a cost standpoint, we're coming in frequently, uh, we're coming in a lower basis, but they're integrated. Yep. Yep. Wow. I love the fact that you guys have done the work to get credentialed as an in-network provider um, <laughs> with some of the, some of the major carriers, because, you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, there are plenty of employers that, that should be right. you know, self-funded that for various reasons don't. Uh, and sometimes it's size, you know, sometimes it's risk tolerance, sometimes it's just ignorance. Um, but um, there's, there's plenty of fully insured employers out there that could benefit from a lot of the, the point solutions out there that right. they're just unable to access because it's, it's una- they're unable to integrate it into their um, you know, off-the-shelf product. So uh, I think it's great that you're, trying, you're able to serve both types of clients. Yeah, and you know, we often see with consultants, 
and their clients, you know, they spend a lot of time creating the system, you know, and it doesn't make sense to blow that up, right? We want to be a participant in that. And I think that, you know, the carrier is a really important component of it. And so we're going to be able to submit claims that you can then read through the carrier readouts, right? And so all that stuff, it just comes together to create a more seamless experience as opposed to adding another layer of fragmentation. If you are doing it on a PEPM basis, how is that going to work with somebody who's on a high deductible health plan with a health savings account? Because there, there needs to be some sort of charge, right? In the case of those specific folks, we basically are able to charge the fair market value of that specific interaction where it's relevant. So What's interesting about our positioning and what we do is, you know, we've, we talked a little bit about the patient center medical home model. We are a focus around preventative care. And so preventative care is always, it's not subject to that. And so a lot of what we're doing is able to be covered there. In the case when it's not, we're going to be able to, to charge the fair market value. But uh, we've got a great team on the legal side as well that has done all that compliance work. So we can dig into that at length uh, after, after this. But, um, you know, you do, you do have to be aware of that. Otherwise, I think every, all the listeners should be lobbying to get that little law changed. Yes, for sure. For sure. So it sounds to me like you guys have done the work to to really be scalable for an employer that has uh, employees, you know, uh, across the country? I mean, are there any geographical limitations, you know, in your mind? You know, no, not really. Um, I mean, if people want physical clinic access, you know, we can talk about rolling that out with them. But otherwise, it was designed specifically to be available for the entire population. Because we heard again and again from employers, you know, it's important to offer an experience that's consistent. And so we wanted to offer that availability for them, you know, wherever their employees might be. Do you guys have a specific segment of the market that you're really focused on? You know, middle market, larger jumbo, or really, you know, any employer, you know, that uh, is interested in improving primary care for their their employees? Yeah, we focused so far on what we would describe as the mid-market, which I know a lot of the different definitions of that. In our definition, it's 100 employees up to about 10,000 employees in size. So that is our, you know, the area. You know, we do actually have groups that are below the 100 number. Um, and so, you know, I think from a working with and collaborating with consultant standpoint, you know, frequently we'll have people who book a business and they've got people on all sorts of different angles. So we do want to prioritize being being available with, for them. But we focus on a mid-market. It's not that we're not open to working with more jumbo employers, but this mid-market group, we don't think that they've been offered the kinds of solutions that they really could take advantage of. They need integration. They typically don't have um, existing solutions that are outside of what the carriers put together besides the, you know, the innovative uh, consultants. Um, and so we think that they're just a great group and they're going to really benefit from this integration piece, especially if you've got a HR team that's maybe not, you know, totally massive. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I do think the, the middle market is underserved and especially with, you know, a lot of the, the startups in healthcare these days that are, um, you know, venture capital financed, right? I mean, they are oftentimes looking to, you know, speed up the, um, the, the process, if you will, of getting to profitability. And a lot of times I think they, they see the quickest way is to focus on, you know, the jumbos. And as a result, you know, I think, you know, sometimes there's great solutions out there that ne- aren't necessarily available, you know, to that middle market. So right. I think it's great that you guys are, are focused there. 
what are you most excited about uh, right now in the business? Anything? Uh, and, and is there, <laughs> if there was one question that I, I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? How about that? Yeah. So, you know, we definitely did cover a lot of ground. I feel like, uh, you know, you can never cover enough ground in healthcare, <laughs> I feel like, but uh, we, we did a great job today. The thing I'm excited most about is, you know, we have this product that's really been working great for all of our customers. And, you know, we've had the national virtual scale and are building on other locations. So I'm really excited to see this year us um, go into these new geographies and just roll out with more clients. You know, now that we've got primary care, behavioral health, and now physical therapy with navigation. There's some super exciting kind of newer products that I'm not totally ready to talk about um, that are going to be integrated in that. But I'm just excited to see this roll out, uh, you know, to more folks um, beyond uh, beyond today. And then in terms of an area that you should have asked about, you were pretty thorough, I would say, overall. I mean, you know, maybe we could, you know, talk a little bit about, I mean, maybe if you were going to give me a harder question, then it would be like, who is this not a good fit for? Um, And so, you know, I think that we want to be realistic to say that not every employer is going to engage in a, you know, differentiated next generation, you know, healthcare model, right? Um, I think we've tried to do a lot of work to say this isn't scary. You know, we're in network. Um, we're not somebody who's you're going to blow stuff up to interact with. So we've tried to do a lot of that work up front. But we really partner with groups well who are looking to advance their benefits model and have already recognized that their problem lies in the fact that they've got low utilization on a lot of their solutions where they're trying to innovate. You know, if we have an employer who's recognized that we have there's a low, you know, utilization, we're going to be a really good fit for them. But if that's not, if they're if they're if they're in a checkbox mentality, which is totally fine because employers have tons of things to work for, work on, you yeah. know, we're not going to be a good fit for them at this time. So we're trying to partner with those folks who are still, you know, who are innovative um, as well, because it just becomes such a strong partnership um, on behalf of their employees. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think this is, uh, you know, for any employer that's interested in improving, improving the employee experience, you know, access to care and the quality of care that they're getting, I think, um, you know, this is the type of solution that they, they would be, they should be looking at. You know, one more question, I think, before we sign off here. I'm thinking of a number of companies who could, you know, benefit from what you guys are doing. And, and, um, you know, a a lot of them have employees that are dispersed that also speak, um, heavily Spanish speaking. So are you, are you guys, have you gotten to the point yet where you're, um, structured to address the, the Spanish speaking population of certain workforces? Yeah. So we do offer Spanish as well. And so it's English and Spanish are the two ones that we support sort of out of the box. All right. So how can people interested in Eden Health learn more about uh, the good stuff you guys are doing? That is a great question. So you can go to our website, uh, EdenHealth.com. Um, you can also reach out to uh, sales at EdenHealth.com um, or put your information on the website. Um, I would give you my personal email, but, you know, um, uh, why don't we go that way first? And we'll have great people on the team uh, who will be able to uh, re- connect and reach out to you there. Yeah, the, si- the sign of a good leader, delegation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, hey, you uh, can tell I'm passionate about this stuff. I always like talking about it. So, you know, yeah. you can entice me. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Time. There you go. Well, um, on behalf of our listeners and myself, Matt, want to thank you for taking time in your schedule. I, I think this has been a great discussion and uh, uh, really excited about what you guys are doing. 
Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the, the questions. You know, it's great to talk to folks who so deeply understand this space and, and obviously have a passion for uh, helping their, uh, you know, their customers out and helping, you know, most importantly, the patients at the end of the day. All right. And uh, to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. With that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. For those interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Eden Health's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review or drop us a note and let us know if there's someone you think would be a good guest on the show. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast.